great to be with you this morning. Uh, we are uh, starting a new series through the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, we'll be going verse by verse through the entire book uh, over the next few months. Uh, Colossians, for those who don't know, is one of many letters that a man named Paul wrote to churches in the first century, uh, many of which he was directly or indirectly involved in planting. And he writes uh, to build up, encourage, enlighten, and instruct these first Jesus communities uh, as they begin to emerge across the known world. Uh, In light of death, burial, and resurrection as real events in history, how are we now to live? Uh, What does the redeemed life, the Jesus-centered life, uh, look like? Uh, How do we grab hold of life that is truly life? How do we respond properly to death, burial, and resurrection? Paul is writing to the early churches for that purpose. And this is how Paul begins his letter. Uh, This is Colossians 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, I pray that uh, just as the original church uh, gathering in Colossae, uh, maybe a group this size, people like us, uh, flawed men and women, uh, trying to, to grow in our understanding of who you are, of what you've done, of how we can walk in it. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to do uh, what you've done from that first community forward, uh, that, that you would uh, open up our hearts, our minds, our souls to who you are, that we would just be receptive, that we would be soft soil, and that everywhere uh, that soft seeds of your, of your truth, of your gospel message are planted, uh, Lord, with, with watering and sunlight and the right conditions, that it would just grow up in our hearts and just begin to bear fruit that would begin to, to multiply out 10, 20, 100 times uh, what was planted would go out. That's, that's the power uh, of your truth. That's the power of the Holy Spirit within us, Lord. In our own strength, if we just gathered together to try and change the world in our own steam, we would get nowhere. Uh, and yet, Lord, in you, as we live surrendered and, and humble lives, there's no limit to what you can do in and through us as, as we live lives after you. Would you open us up to that, to the possibilities uh, that exist within you because of who you are? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Letters in the ancient world uh, followed a typical format. First, the writer would uh, introduce or identify themselves. Uh, Next, they would specify who they were writing to. And then uh, they would include a greeting. And in the letter that we have started this morning, Paul follows that same format. He identifies himself uh, as an apostle serving God. That's his calling. That's his role, his function 
within the body of Christ. Uh, he's, all, he's the writer of the letter, and he has a Timothy, his apprentice, uh, by his side. Uh, they are writing to the people of Colossae, uh, which is a city in the ancient Near Eastern world, if you can picture modern-day Turkey. Uh, and then uh, after those basic things comes the greeting. Uh, but Paul does not use the typical greeting of his day. And as a result, it would have sort of jumped off the page. It would have stood out to the original audience. Uh, most letters in the ancient world uh, started with the Greek word karen, uh, which uh, technically means joy, if you try and translate it literally, uh, but it really just came to mean greetings. So, so think of our typical, hi, how are you, uh, good day to you. It was just a typical standard introduction. Uh, but Paul uses a different word. Instead of using Karen, he says charis, which can be translated grace. So it's almost a play on words that would have caught the attention of the original audience. Instead of greetings, it's grace. In fact, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And I want to say a quick word about each. Uh, first, grace and then peace. Uh, grace is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful concept. And these are just a few of the basic definitions of the word grace. Grace is, or can be defined as, uh, a gift given with nothing expected in return, an undeserved gift, unearned or unmerited favor, or if you want a more uh, theological definition, one theologian described it this way. He said, grace is the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. Amazing. Grace forgives anyone who repents and comes to Him. A grace covers all of our sin. And it actually does more uh, than simply erase the bad things that we've done. Perhaps that's one aspect of grace. But, but uh, by grace, when we come to Jesus, we're actually included in Christ is one of Paul's favorite descriptions of a follower of Jesus or a Christian. He used it right here in the intro. He says, you're in Christ. What that means is that our old self is put to death, uh, that, that by grace we become new creations. We, we are found in Jesus. It is by grace uh, that we receive the very righteousness of God for free as a gift we receive His righteousness. And, and we're adopted into the family of God. We're, we're given right standing with God. This is all part of, of being in Christ. Being included in Him. Uh, we, we didn't earn it. As we sometimes sing, we don't deserve it. But it's given to us. And this is foundational for everything that follows. This is central to our faith. Uh, the center of the spiritual universe, so to speak, uh, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's it, right there in the center. 
But what Paul's going to explain is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are the means by which God's grace is unleashed upon the world. It's the means by which His grace, His love, His kindness comes to us. Uh, The Scriptures say that we were originally enemies of God, operating in the flesh, unable to please God. No matter what we did, good or bad, we were in the flesh. We were in Adam. We were, we were in the old humanity. Trapped, broken, stuck in our old selves. Paul describes it as a body of death. He's stuck there. But then, grace came to us. Grace called us by name. Grace woke us up to who Jesus is and called us into the kingdom. It is by grace that the old is put to death and and the new rises up in new birth. And all of that happens through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This This is the doorway by which we enter. But it's also the means by which all of this comes to us as a free and undeserved gift. This this becomes the basis of our identity. This is the basis of our standing before God. How am I to relate to God? How am I to think of my relationship to God? It, It is this unshakable and undeserved favor. This is the the definition of grace. This is the mystery of God's grace. It doesn't make sense to us, but this is how God has chose to operate. It's not about you. It's not up to you. Uh, It's completely up to God and what He has done on your behalf. The gift that He has given us, bestowed upon us, lavished upon us through death, burial, and resurrection. Grace reconciles us to God and ensures that nothing, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all of creation can now separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, and, And out of that incredible grace, lavished on us, undeserved favor, received as a gift, Out of that comes peace. You you cannot have peace without grace. You can't have peace with God. You can't have peace with others. But as we start in God's grace, as we root ourselves in God's grace, as we begin to saturate ourselves Uh, with an accurate view uh, of the uh, incredible grace that God has for us, well, out of that uh, flows peace. An an undeserved peace. Uh, There's no more wrath. There's no more animosity. There's no more tension. You are secure in Jesus. You have peace. The opposite of peace is anxiety. It is fear. But, the Scriptures say, perfect love, the grace of God, 
casts out fear. Goes on to explain, no, fear has to do with punishment. That's the root deep down of, of that fear, of that anxiety, is that somehow you're afraid of punishment. But the grace of God assures us over and over again that Jesus took that punishment. That, that He stood in our place. He substituted Himself. We have no fear left of punishment. Jesus says, it is finished. What a freeing word. And now, as a result of that, we have peace with God. Out of grace flows peace. And Paul, the writer of the letter, he, he knew about these things. He had lived these things. You know, Paul started off as a persecutor of Christians. He hated the Jesus movement. He, he believed it to be false. He believed he was actually serving God uh, by murdering Christians and, and arresting them and, and dismantling this movement. He went by the name Saul. He was, he was a zealous Jewish religious leader. He was well known in Jerusalem and beyond, excelling among his religious peers, a Pharisee among Pharisees. As to the law of God, outstanding. He was a very upright and moral person according to the law of the Old Testament. He operated with tons of zeal and tons of legalism and giving rise to a sort of uh, religious law-based righteousness that he operated in. He related to God through his own good or bad deeds, uh, through the law, through morality, which, if we're honest is how most people inside and outside of the church still relate to God today. Most of us are convinced, deep in our hearts, that our standing with God is based on our own good or bad deeds. Uh, if I do good by my own moral standard, or by the code of the Old Testament law, uh, then God loves me. Uh, then I am favored by God. Then I have good standing by, with Him. I'm on good terms. But if I do bad today, if I'm not making good choices, then I'm, then I'm on bad terms with God. He isn't pleased with me. He doesn't delight in me. I, I'm back under the wrath of God. I'm somehow deserving of punishment because of the things that I've done. And, and that's how many of us uh, relate to God, by the way if not in whole, then at least in part. I grew up, some of you know, self-identifying as an atheist. A totally outside of the church, disconnected from any form of Jesus community, just basically zero exposure to that stuff. I knew nothing of the law of God, and I knew nothing of the love of God. But eventually, as I got into early college, I was introduced through other college students to Jesus uh, and, and to His love and His mercy and the way that He felt about me. I, I fell in love with Jesus. I began to believe in my heart, in my mind, that perhaps God really does exist. Uh, perhaps I got it wrong. Perhaps uh, Jesus was telling the truth. Perhaps that God actually came in the person of Jesus. And, and did these things that the Bible says. I, I got to a point 
where I put my hope, my faith, my trust uh, in Jesus as the risen and resurrected King. And everything changed. My entire paradigm, who I was as a person, the way I thought about myself, the way I thought about life, the way I thought about my family, the way I related to others, the, the very stars in the sky were different because of the, the transformation that was happening through placing my faith in the resurrection. It was incredible. But, as we go in our walk, it's very easy to move past that initial grace and love and forgiveness for that initial kind of shock and excitement to begin to wear off. And then we say, what's next? Like, like what, what do I do now? How do I progress in, in, in the Christian walk? How do I mature? How, how do I please the Lord? And these are wonderful questions to ask. They, they are mature questions, necessary questions. But sadly, in the very moment that we're asking the right questions, we, we can often turn to the wrong answers. And we can begin looking into the law and morality as a means of pleasing God. And it can be very tricky for us to reason our way through this. Right? Well, I mean, God gave the law, and, and He's a moral being, and, and surely He wants me to be moral, so, so wouldn't it be very pleasing to God if I place myself under that law? If I begin relating to God, yes, I was forgiven, yes, I was adopted, but, but how do I relate to God now? Surely it should be through the law. Surely I should place myself under this law. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This seems like a very good and fitting thing. But it's actually in this very moment that we have departed from the grace of God. We, we actually cease to understand His grace, to, to walk in His grace, to celebrate His grace. Uh, we, we slowly, subtly shift into relating to God through the law instead of through Jesus. And it's quite easy to do. It's a very almost natural progression for us, uh, but it has disastrous consequences when it comes to our relationship with God. It stifles the new life that Jesus is trying to create. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, You foolish Galatians. It's much nicer to the Colossians. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Next slide. So again, I ask, 
Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, by your own morality, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's you and me, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Next slide. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. This is one of many passages exploring God's grace and the tendency that we have as followers of Jesus to return to the law, uh, to, to depart from God's grace, to find our standing in another place. That was my temptation as a young Christian after the initial shock wore off. It, perhaps it's yours as well. It might be your temptation this morning to relate to God that way. And Paul says it's easy to do, but it's foolish. Who, who has bewitched you? You got started in the grace of God. You were enjoying the Spirit of God. And then you turned down the wrong road. Does God forgive you and bless you and fill you with the Spirit and work miracles among you because of your works under the law? No. That, that was never the basis. That was never the reason for why He did those things. It's not about your performance under the law. It's not about your morality. It's about God's grace. Uh, what is the true work that God has called you to do? Well, Paul says it, it's not to labor under the law. That's actually a curse. That, that doesn't bring peace. It, it's actually believing the Gospel. It, it's, it's resting in, in the fact that Jesus is back from the dead. And, and that is His kingdom breaks into your life. By the grace of God, we actually receive His righteousness. We receive His right standing because we're in Christ. And now, because you are in Christ, you have incredible peace with God. When God looks at you, He sees Jesus. His righteousness is credited to your account through that avenue, through you believing in what you heard. Can you imagine how much God would love you if you lived a perfect, sinless life? Just absolutely, recklessly abandoned in, in love of God and others. Never sinning. In fact, at the end, just imagine that you laid down your very life. That you sacrificed your life to set others free. Just, just imagine if you live that life, how much God would love you. And Paul says, that's it. 
That's it. If you, can, if you can imagine that, if you can imagine the way that the Father loves Jesus, that's, that's, the way, that's it. That's the way that the Father loves you. It's as if you had done those things. That, that's the mystery of God's grace poured out on you. You and I are, to quote Hebrews, the righteous made perfect. I, I did not feel that way when I woke up this morning. We, we do not often feel that way. He says, that's who you are. That, that's your identity in Jesus. In fact, Paul addresses his letter this way in the, in the two verses we read this morning. He says, To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's easy to skip the intro. Are you with me? Like when I read through the Bible, I have to be honest, I usually skip the intros. Blah, 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 Paul, an apostle, Colossae, grace and peace, whatever. Let's just get to the real stuff. Usually around verse 4 or 5. But the key to the whole letter is right here. Who are the holy people in Colossae? The second I say that, many of you have a thought or an image in your mind. I sort of picture these saints of old, robed in white, very holy, very pious, blameless, upright. Many of us have this image of who a holy person is, what they look like. Who is Paul addressing? Who are the holy ones? Everyone. All of them. Anyone who has repented, anyone who has come into Christ, you're in Christ. And as a result, you are holy. To God's people whom He has made holy. In whom He stirs faithfulness and into whom he forms into brothers and sisters how how does all of that happen paul says it's because you're in christ brothers and sisters we do not enter into christ but by becoming holy and faithful that's just not how it works. By the grace of God, when you repent and you believe you are included in Christ, and as a result of being in Him, you are made holy. You are cultivated. You are being cultivated into a faithful brother and sister. You're already holy. It's already done. And, and if you sense things in your life that are inconsistent with that, then we repent, we let those go, we lay those at the feet of Jesus, we say, that's not who I am. 
That's not consistent with who you've made me to be. It doesn't make sense anymore because I'm already holy. Is this fitting for God's holy people? No. Did I become holy through works of the law? Absolutely not. You became holy through the blood of Christ. Through the cross, death, burial, resurrection, you became, you were included in Him. You became holy. Now we just toss out the stuff that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have power anymore. It's not fitting here. It doesn't make sense based on who I am. We have received grace on top of grace already given. And, and out of that magnificent grace comes peace. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Wow, that's, that's yours. That's yours in Christ because you're in Him. Because of God's grace, that peace. Oh, there's anything our nation needs right now. Just the peace of God. By grace as an undeserved gift, you've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not the person next to you. Not the pastor up front. Not that holy person over there. You. You have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's already yours. And you say, well, I, I, I don't feel that way. That, that's not my minute-to-minute, it's not my day-to-day -day experience. I don't feel as if those things are true. And in fact, my relationship with God this morning, it feels a bit tense. It, it doesn't feel like it's full of grace and peace. It feels uncertain. It feels a bit cold. If I'm honest, it, it, it feels a bit cursed. And, and I have this sense that I'm never quite good enough. I'm never good enough. Or surrendered enough. Or, or witnessing enough. Or, or whatever the standard is that we apply to ourselves. And, and all of a sudden, very subtly, we begin operating under the law. That's why we feel inadequate. That's why I feel inadequate. That doesn't come from grace and peace. It comes from something else. It often comes when we've designed a new standard by which we can relate to God. And it feels safe and it feels logical. But Paul says, no. Please, please don't do this. It starts with grace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is the foundation for everything that follows. If we rush past the intro and into the letter, we're going to hear a bunch of stuff about loving God and loving others and we'll codify it. We'll turn it into a written code. 
we'll turn it into a law to live under, cursing ourselves in the process. But it starts here with God's grace. Paul understood that. Paul had lived a life under the law. He had lived a life of religious striving with no knowledge of Jesus. And and it served to benefit him on this topic because he did not mix them again. After he encountered Jesus, he was done with the law. He never wanted to operate there again. This is why he's so committed to living in grace. He says, that way of life under the law, it was cursed. It was rubbish. It didn't bear any fruit. It didn't please God. What was I doing with those decades of my life under the law? Everything that I thought I had there, I counted all as loss. It's garbage. It is not worth anything. Instead, Paul says, I, all I want to do is know Christ and Christ crucified. That, that's it. I'm done. I'm done striving under the law. He, he wanted to be rooted in the right story. He wanted to grab hold of the radical nature of God's grace, to live in that place, to walk in that, in that grace. That's the work of God. That's the work of God that He calls you to do. And it's work. There's parts of our hearts, our minds, our souls that are not naturally receptive to the Gospel. We say the law actually just makes a lot more sense. That feels a lot safer to me. That, that flows with the logic in my mind. The gospel of grace does not. This is work, brothers and sisters. And we don't have a lot of time this morning to talk about spiritual warfare, but this is front and center of spiritual warfare in the life of a disciple of Jesus. This is, this is your work. To believe in the radical grace of God. And the enemy's always going to be there pushing back, pushing back. It couldn't be that good. You shouldn't operate in that place. Surely that's not true. But, but wow, when we, when we walk in that place, when we learn to root ourselves in the grace of God, there's, there's nothing to earn. There's nothing to hide. There's, there's no more religious striving. There's no more condemnation. Wow, and, and the peace of God begins to guard our hearts and minds in Jesus. We're guarded by peace, surrounded by peace. What a way of life. This is the life that Paul wants us to take hold of. This is the starting point, the foundation for life with Jesus. And so he writes right out of the gate to the Colossians, grace and Peace to you. To the Romans, grace and peace to you. To the Corinthians, grace and peace to you. To the Galatians, grace and peace to you. To the Ephesians, grace and peace to you. To the Thessalonians, you guessed it, grace and peace. 
Paul was amazingly consistent on this topic because for Paul, this is more than a greeting. It is a way of life. It starts with grace and it ends with grace. And out of that flows peace. Out of that flows identity. Out of that flows joy and a loving relationship with Jesus. Not characterized by tension and cursing and condemnation and inadequacy. That's law stuff. But you've been justified. Declared innocent. Set free from condemnation. Placed in Christ. And there's nothing left to prove. There's nothing to earn. There's, there's nothing to lose. Everything that truly matters is already yours in Jesus. Is there a life to lead? Yes. Is there a cross to carry? Yes, there is. Are there difficult people to love? Yes. Is there a people He calls us to become? Without a doubt. But we can't get ahead of ourselves. It all starts here with grace and peace. You let that sink in deep in your bones. And you're ready for all that follows. If you get that, you're ready for everything else in the letter. If you don't get that, you're not ready. If you blow by the intro and try and go and live a life of discipleship, apart from grace and peace, then you will burn out. You won't make it. You won't last. Life with Jesus will be depleting and not life-giving. It will be a heavy burden, not a joy. It will be condemnation and legalism, not freedom and peace. Brothers and sisters, there, there is so much that God longs to do in us and through us. There are hearts to be won. There are cities and nations to be touched and transformed. But it all starts here with grace and peace. Let's pray.